You are listening to the Evolution Exchange podcast, a melding pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful tech leaders in Australia. I'm Shauna. I help connect tech companies with top tech talent. And today I'm your host. Welcome back to another Evolution Exchange podcast. Today, I'm joined by four senior leaders within the Sydney technology industry, where we'll be discussing how AI is disrupting industries. And we're going to cover areas such as generative AI and chat GTP, prompt engineering, types of AI, and then obviously quality and security of AI and and all the risks around that. Um, So before we jump into our topics and our questions, let's get started by doing an introduction to our panelists. Um, And I'm looking at Melkar. If you want to go first, tell us a bit about yourself, what you're passionate about to kick things off. Hey, Shauna. Thanks for inviting me. Hi, everyone. My name is Melkar McCaig, or Mel. Um, I'm one of the directors of engineering at Safety Culture. Safety Culture, for those who don't know, is a global technology company. We help businesses improve the way they operate. Our workplace operations platform is now used by more than 70,000 organizations around the world. Um, My tech experience ranges from telco, CRM, fintech. I've spent a lot of time in fintech and um, SaaS platforms. I have worked with startups like Tyro and Safety Culture to big enterprise organizations like Accenture and BlackRock. So I've seen multiple evolutions in tech, you know, from the waterfall days to agile, cloud transformation, you name it. I think I've seen it all. And I've had the privilege of witnessing the rapid evolution of AI. So AI is not new, as everyone knows. Um, It's just evolved and its impacts on various industries. So I'm excited to share my insights on how AI is disrupting the industry once again and changing the way we work and leave as well. And um, I'd love to learn from this um, great panel as well today. Awesome. Thank you so much, Malakar. I'm looking at James. Tell us about yourself. Thank you, Shauna, and thank you for hosting. Uh, So yeah, I'm James Andrew Smith. I'm co-founder and CTO at Payable. We help local governments uh, modernize their payments by creating citizen-centric payment experiences, uh, which deliver flexible billing, uh, simplified rate collection. Um, Also, we were the 10th business to go active on the consumer data right in Australia, or our open banking regime, and the first payments app to do that. Uh, My specialty is really working with startups from an idea or early stage through to production and to scale. Uh, So typically in sectors with high security and compliance requirements. I'm really passionate about building small but high performing teams, uh, great developer experiences and all things data security. Uh, And when I'm not at work, you'll likely find me engineering cubby houses with my three year old. Looking forward to the chat today. Amazing. Thank you. Uh, Misha. Thanks, Shauna. Uh, great to be here. Um, my name is Misha. I'm the CTO at Beforepay, um, which is uh, a, a short-term consumer credit lending business, often bundled together with Buy Now, Pay Later, but we operate um, as a, a direct-to-the-customer lending business rather than around a purchase before pay really exists to disrupt what's been typically a fairly exploitative and predatory part of the financial sector being payday lending. So our, our intent here in the vision of before pay is to really disrupt that part of the, the financial sector by being ethical and responsible in the way that we provide 
cash advances to our customers. Um, we've been particularly successful. We, you know, uh, if you look at the numbers, we write somewhere between three and ten thousand loans per day, and uh, we've managed to really, uh, we've actually managed to use machine learning in a very significant manner within the business, um, and it's a, actually a key to part of the success that we've been able to achieve at BeforePay. My background is um, I've been in engineering since the late 90s. Um, I was full stack engineer back when that meant that you had to build the hardware and deploy it and everything. So I've been around the traps for a long time and I've been really in um, management and leadership roles for the last decade or so in various different industries. I've only recently really entered fintech in the last uh, four years. Previous to that, I've been in industries such as visual effects and legal software and all sorts of different verticals. But um, really interesting. Uh, the thing I love about all of this, these different verticals is just using technology and using the capabilities to solve real world problems and make people's lives better. That's really what I'm passionate about is you know, using technology to improve society um, and improve how, how people are able to live. That's a short one about me. Thanks again. Incredible. So thank you, Misha. Last but absolutely not least, Arafat, tell us about yourself. Yeah, um, Arafat, based in Sydney, of course, um, and uh, I work for EY, so senior manager over there, working in their consult technology consulting team. We have got um, a huge um, different set of teams in technology consulting as well. So I sit in the digital and emerging technology, are working with uh, within the Microsoft space. So we are the partner of the year for this year. Um, and this is super nice. Um, and I'm also Microsoft MVP for artificial intelligence. Um, so working closely with the community, with Microsoft um, for their services, product model roadmaps as well. And um, um, the basically I share the similar vision of, of Misha that doing something good um, for, for people, for community using technology, empowering them, how they can um, leverage technology and and solve their problems. Um, really excited uh, to be a part of this whole podcast um, around the booming topic of how AI is disrupting the industry. Looking forward to it. Again, brilliant stuff. Thank you so much, Arfat. Um, but yeah, I just want to say, like, I'm really excited about this. It's super hot topic um, that we're covering today. And again, like an incredible panel. So let's get stuck into it. Um, and it actually takes me back to Arafat. Um, you brought a couple of questions today, which I think makes sense to dig right into because it will give our audience a good indication and insights to what it is we're actually talking about. Um, so your first question um, to the panel and um, to talk about is what is generative AI and how is it different than the traditional AI and machine learning sort of stuff that we hear about all the time? So yeah, give us a little insight about that and I'd love to hear everyone else's um, ideas as well. Yeah, um, so generative AI, um, this, is, this, this word has just popped up um, few years, I think one or two years back yeah. um, into the market. Of course, it was there, but this has just boomed up. Um, so it's a kind of an, an AI or artificial intelligence that focuses on creating new content rather than just analyzing the existing or the existing data or providing any predefined responses. So um, 
Traditional AI, on the other hand, typically relies on the rule-based systems, pattern recognitions, um, decision trees, and things like that. Um, so generative AI, on the other hand, is like, is is creating a new content. Um, and the key differences actually lies in the approach of problem solving. Uh, so while traditional AI is more focused on analyzing and <clears throat> processing existing data, generative AI aims to create new and original content that closely mimics human creativity. So as we have seen with, with the launch of <clears throat> ChatGPT, people are creating content, people are trying to use some image models such as Dolly to generate images, um, and it has been used widely in personalization, not just the images part, but also the text part, um, rec recommendations, um, and also like people are using this to write some client emails as well and doing whatnot. So in summary, generative AI is just um, a more advanced and creative form of AI, um, which is opening up new possibilities and opportunities for the businesses. Amazing. Anyone else like to add to that? Yeah, I, I was no. just going to add that I, I think that the the other really interesting thing about it is how accessible it is because of its you know user experience. You know the the, the fact that anyone, um, particularly in the example of ChatGPT or just in any kind of prompting, can can ask for something and that it can maintain that context. I think it's a a totally different user experience that uh, you know makes it so much more accessible to you know a wider audience. Whereas previously, you know the tools that we would use were really in the the realm of you know very specialized engineers before that yeah um, to me i think the main difference is really um traditional a traditional ai uses more a uh, predetermined criteria so we used it before in one in my previous company where you actually have to program predefined rules and you know you make decisions based on that criteria so it's quite limiting that way so traditional ai uses you know our data analysis decision making so stuff like that generative ai brings a new whole new level um of of that data analysis where it like Arafat said, it might create new content based on a set of um, parameters, so which traditional AI didn't do before. So that's why, you know, it can take a, a text and translate it into an image, for example, which makes it really freaky, but also exciting at the same time. <laughs> cool. uh, I think what's what's really interesting at the moment is um, we, we've had AI in various forms and machine learning in particular for, for quite some time now, but I think that it's really become a bit of the zeitgeist because all of a sudden the community at large is starting to see AI behave the way that it's been described in science fiction for so long that all of a mm. sudden everyone's like, oh, holy crap, we've really, we've suddenly reached this point where AI is a reality. We're living, we're starting to live in the future. And I think mm. um, we really are, it is that socialization of AI that's, that's happening at the moment. And I, I like to think of, and uh, Look at what is happening with AI. We've seen this a couple of times in in technology. Um, I think what's really striking this time is about the pace of adoption and the speed of of yeah. spread of use. I mean, it, we've seen similar sort of um, disruptive and and revolutionary type uh, technology, you know, hundreds of years ago with the industrial revolution, but it took decades for that to spread. And I think the difference here is that because we're now such a connected world that 
it spreads through globally very, very rapidly. And that's really standing out to me as the difference in this revolution that we're, that we're seeing. It has been quite a long time in, in the build-up. I mean, we've been using AI and machine learning for a very long time in very various different ways. Um, I mean, I think the first time I really became aware of generative AI was when I was working in visual effects and it was using AI upscaling for a lot of things, you know, a number of years ago. And just to see going from things like that where it's basically improving some existing content to now what we're seeing with, you know, things like mid-journey, which is just completely, you know, uh, it, I wouldn't say it's democratizing. What's really challenging is how do we uh, manage to maintain creativity as humans and make sure that the AI is not simply aggregated plagiarism. You know, I think that's part of what we're seeing with some of these things is aggregated plagiarism, where it's you, you show what Midjourney is is come up with, and you can see very clearly if you look at various artists where its inspiration came from and how it you know. It, it, that is part of the challenge that we're going to face is intellectual property, particularly with generative AI, um, is going to become a Absolutely. very hot topic over the next months, I think. Yep. It's going to be, yeah, a lot of conversations around that, the, the whole sort of property piece. So just on, the, on to what Arafat was saying earlier on, it's like you were saying your next kind of piece was, why why has this not been available earlier? And why all of a sudden has a has a has it popped up now? And like Misha said, it's evolving super quick now. It's gone from not really being anything, and then boom, like it's here and it's like everywhere it's rapidly. How's that yeah. happened? Yeah, um, this is an interesting question because, um, as as Misha rightly said, that this this word mm -hmm. or this technology is not like just has come last year or or a, or a, or, a, or two years back. Um, this was there, but this was not there at scale. Um, and and there were a couple of reasons behind it. Number one was like, there was there was not so much of an advancement because the open source community or the community, AI community was not like not grown up in terms of <clears throat> sharing their research papers, their, their researches. Everybody or every big company was working in a confined space, uh, just not to lose their IPs. Um, there was not um, an accessibility, there was no accessibility to the large data sets as well. So like now, right now as, as OpenAI or, or other companies claim that GPT-4 is like just like, is trained on the whole internet. So you can imagine the whole internet, right? Yeah. Um, so they have, this this is the power of like the large data set. And then we also did not have, and what I what I personally and strongly believe that we did not have a good computational power that actually trains your models. <clears throat> so um, right now the power is increasing, 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 and as a result of that, companies, big companies, um, giants, software giants are creating these models, and they have got a control of that. Um, I was reading the other day that organizations are keen on hosting that large language models on their on their on-prem or on their data centers. And <clears throat> there has been discussions from the experts that please don't do that because you will burn out of all of your budget because of because of the training cost. And that involves the computational power. So I think these were these were a couple of factors which were which were not there earlier. Um, and this has these factors have infused or um, um, it 
just became the reason. Um, they have become the reason to for generative AI to 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 become a booming thing of today. Brilliant. Um, and then I know yourself and James actually mentioned the concept of prompt engineering. Um, and I'm just trying to get my head around it. Is that is prompt engineering? Is that what Chat GTP is, or like what is that, and how is that related to AI? <laughs> Well, I mean, my my you know take on an and I'm sure you've got a, a fantastic description for this as well. But um, you know, is that the, the art of prompting is something that's come up, and it's you know almost a, a meme amongst some developer circles that I've seen now <laughs> that you can become a prompt engineer, and it's been advertised as the hottest new career path. Um, so, Sean, I'm not sure if there'll be a specialty for that soon. But um, you know, I think prompt engineering as well, and I find this is this is an interesting area in that, you know, if we look at the strategy that OpenAI adopted, which was to, you know, really say to the whole internet, you can use this tool for free. Um, mm. You know, they're, they're not training just off the data of the internet, they're training off the prompts that we use too. So, you know, in, in a sense, everyone who has been experimenting is part of the product now. Um, and prompt engineering, you know, is really just around how you maintain that conversational context um, with the model um, and then, you know, using it to get what you would like because, you know, a lot of the models um, and tools that are used are not deterministic, which means that if you give it the same input, you're not necessarily going to get the same output. And so, you know, providing, um, you know, I guess, leading the model into a place where it might operate differently or operate consistently um, is something that, uh, you know, people are attempting to do, um, particularly with the specialized applications of ChatGPT. Like if we look at, um, you know, how how engineers are using it, say, to optimize or even write code. Brilliant. That actually makes it a lot clearer in my head. <laughs> so thank you for that. Anyone else have any kind of um, explanations for that or... I think James has covered that pretty, pretty, pretty Nailed comprehensively. It. Yeah, <laughs> but you did raise an interesting point. Maybe we'll get to come back to this later around the deterministic yeah. nature or non-deterministic nature of AI and how that fits into governance frameworks is a bit of a challenge. Yeah. Just know, you know that like myself. How do you how do you prove that this is actually what the AI said at that particular time and why did we make this decision? Um, it's you know kind of the antithesis of a lot of governance is you know if you give the same set of conditions, you should end up with the same results. So yeah, it's an interesting topic as well. I want to get very interesting. Yeah, that is a whole topic in, on itself. You're right. <laughs> yeah, uh, um, I was just going to add to what James has also um, kind of um, mentioned is that prompt engineering is really, it's really changing how, the way we think. So it's it's not necessarily mm -hmm. just, you know, on, on coding, but it's, it's really design thinking. So you're you're being forced to think about your output first and try to work it backwards. So then you can prompt um, GPT to give you the output that you want. So there's a lot about it, about critical thinking, about, you know, you've seen so many viral um, posts about tricking GPT, you know, through reverse <laughs> psychology. So I think we're, we will we will have a topic later on what five years would look like, but it's already happening now that yeah. um, the the way we approach technology and work will be different because because of what AI can do for us. That natural language generation will capability will generate so many new probably new kind of jobs. So people 
first natural reaction of you know as humans is like oh this will replace people this will replace jobs i <laughs> i think it will replace people who doesn't adapt um a um gp or generative ai and doesn't use that in their jobs if you're not quick to kind of utilize it and how you can enhance your your yeah. work then that's probably you know where ai can replace it but i don't think it will replace people altogether so in the james example of you know, anyone can just like code now because of, you can just prompt it. I don't think so. We've tried, we've tried it. You still need like for simple things, sure you can, but for like really complex, you still need um really high skilled engineers to be able to kind of qualify the output. Is it good enough? You know, does it have enough tests, etc. So um, it, we're not going away anytime soon. I don't think so. I agree. One of the more interesting anecdotes I saw was using ChatGPT4 to refactor swathes of code. Um, I'm sure we've all seen that, but I think the GPT4 character limit or the word limit was is much larger than the ChatGPT. Yeah, and so right. people are just giving it heaps of code and saying, yeah, refactor this. But this is, I really think this is going to be a pervasive theme is AI is not going to be delivering the end result for a long time, it's always going to need that human review for at least uh, the foreseeable future. Um, yeah. And if, if we look back at, once again, I'm going to keep going back to previous examples, if we look back at the you know, ro robotics revolution and the industrial revolution before that, humans weren't replaced by these technologies. They were, no. aug they were augmented. We've got to look at this as augmenting human capabilities rather than replacing, and it's a matter of adapting and adopting what we do as humans to really you know, take full advantage of the new capabilities that we're seeing. Yeah, yeah um, I agree. Yeah, I'm um, coming. I think I, I just, um, I just got one example in my mind about the robotic when when Misha mentioned. So, um, we can we can define like generative AI as as something that that is a smart robot can, can and that robot can create all of those new things for you, like stories, pictures, images, and other examples. Yeah. Um, and prompt engineering is like giving the bit better robotic instructions to help you create that. So if you are going not going to define it well, it is go not going to create something very well. If you are going to define it the way you want, then it is going to create in a way that, that would match your idea. So... Okay. Just wanted to bring that. Sorry. Yeah, it's so funny because you know you, you you think about there was a point in time where like you know robots are going to take over the world type of thing, um, but now you think of, <laughs> you think of Chat GTP, it's it's almost like a non tangible robot, isn't it? Really, you're like okay, but like yeah. what you guys are saying, and I agree with you. It's like it's going to enhance how we can do our job better yeah. rather than I don't think yeah, it'll ever be, the best, to human. The best way to fail um, and see that how where it fails is like you you try you try to make my and james um name together like arafat and then keep it like arafat smith and go to chat yeah. gpt and ask them hey write a biography on arafat smith yeah and it will it, and give a very bad idea of like what what i am like what a new person would be and then it will generate yeah. everything with the citations as well with and and the links as well that never exists yeah. in the on the internet no. so this is a proof that it can spit out anything. So it's not intelligent, actually. It's just generative. 
Generative. And that actually takes us on. So you, your next point was, um, what are the common use cases of generative AI and how is it helping or going to help enterprises? Yeah, um, good question. I think a lot of, so what I've, what I've thought um, that, and I've, since my experience is more on the uh, retail government transportation. So um, I think in retail, we will see a lot of, um, personalized product recommendations for yeah. the generative AI. Um, and probably people or the companies have started using it um, and they will be using it. There are many startups, I think they have started creating their solutions around that. Um, again, for the transportation as well, um, like optimizing your 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 routes, your schedules, um, predicting your maintenance needs of like railways. Um, in healthcare, I was thinking that they would be definitely be using for improving the diagnosis, treatment to analyze medical images, um, and many others, and banking as well, advertising as well. So I think if, yeah, there are, there are many, I think generative AI is very, very broad uh, in terms of its uh, scale. So, Probably Misha would be able to add something if he's trying to do something with with his own startup. Uh, so let's hear from him. Yeah. Anyone else yeah. kind of want to give us some ideas? Yeah, go for it, Misha. Well, uh, in in response to Arafat's point about um, at scale, I mean, for us, we're not using a generative AI. We're still really it's a machine learning. To, to, Almost deterministic, not quite, not not quite deterministic, but it's a it's basically a decisioning engine. Um, it is essentially we use it to do a credit risk assessment. So at Before Pay, our machine learning gives us a probability of default for a particular customer, and this is based on large data sets that we get from the customer. It's proven very very accurate. Um, in fact, the the more we trust. The results from this ML, the better our default rates become, um, and so it, it's making you know very very strong recommendations. But it is purely um, a, a factor of the, the size of the training data and the quality of the training data that makes it so accurate. And I think it's something that as technologists we're all acutely aware of. But I think that a lot of people forget that this the garbage in garbage out also applies to AI. If you yeah. don't have clean, quality, consistent data sets, or you know, at least have a way of um, normalizing or formatting, or, or however you want to describe, depending on the <laughs> depending on the model that you're training and what it is you're doing, it varies greatly. But it really is um, and garbage in, garbage out. And I think what we were talking about with AI making things up on the spot, um, the the term hallucination is, you know, AIs can hallucinate. They can just imagine things. And here is a, a bio for someone that doesn't exist. As, as I was saying, it's just um, That's we mad. do have to, it, it ties into the whole issue of reliability, provability. And um, I think these are some challenges that not us as technologists, but us as society are going to face in the near future. Yeah. How do we actually deal with these things where we now no longer have people making up fake news. We have AIs generating fake news. You know, we've got 
as a society, we're going to have a whole bunch of these really fundamental and ethical questions to face and try and answer together. So it's some really interesting times ahead. Very much so. Yeah, I think if, if I could add, um, apart from what um, Misha said, improving decision-making, you know, like um, credit ratings and stuff, I think um, enhanced customer experiences would be a big one because yeah. of that personalization. Um, and this is applicable to any product there, right? Like I think um, at the end of the day, all the products out there is to a customer who is a person. And if you can, you know, personalize that and, you know, make that customer experience better, um, it's always mm. a good probably um, outcome. And generally, AI can really help enterprises with that. And I think as well as um, automation, which leads to cost savings or okay. automating routine tasks, you know, you're optimizing your workflows, um, businesses can really um, get significant cost savings through adoption of it if it's done right. Absolutely. Yeah, that's Excellent. a really good. That, that's a really good point, Mel and, and Michelle. Yeah. I think the the other place I see it in terms of the very near future is just based on the way that you know, as a sort of an engineering perspective, we access um, ChatGPT or you know the, any models along these lines. The fact that the API has been made available, every cloud provider is rushing to make it available. I think we're going to see an avalanche of uh, sort of embedded tooling um, to do exactly what Mel's describing, where we'll, we'll see every product. I mean, uh, obviously, um, Microsoft's investment in OpenAI and all their recent announcements around how pretty much every everything in the Microsoft suite uh, including, you know, we're using Teams today, will have some element of open AI built into it. Um, you know, everything from, you know, this to Outlook to their security software will be using, uh, you know, you know, chat GPT models, particularly the 4.0 plus models to uh, really enhance the productivity of existing teams to, you know, uh, you know, get more out. But also, um, yeah, I think this will be really interesting in terms of its impact on, you know, then team design or, um, you know, the level of expertise in those teams that will need to be there. Because if we take, you know, configuring some system or even, you know, writing emails, even say sales emails, you know, you, you don't necessarily need to be the biggest expert to then get the prompts to move you along a bit faster because it will do some form of predictive text for you well the same thing will happen and sort of already happens be it not very accurate not 100 percent accurately for configuration of let's say i wanted to configure a server it can you know predict that for us today and i think i you know by embedding it in products across the board you know there's a a bunch of startups that have cropped i imagine being founded in the last six to eight weeks that are pretty much existing problem plus generative ai but yeah you know, the market will move and, you know, it'll become, I think, a expected feature. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of companies that have, you know, come up in the last few years that are around, you know, a no code or low code solution for problem X um, are probably going to be looking at this technology and saying, well, uh, how can we, you know, have, uh, you know, a customer configure something or use our software or um, to achieve whatever purpose it is, but much faster. Um, and with much less expertise in the problem. Yeah, I'm pretty excited to hear all about these new tools. 
um, and buzzwords. <laughs> um, when I'm going to be recruiting for software engineers in the future, it's going to be very interesting. Um, but it definitely, it, we're in a bit of a, a revolution, all right? It's pretty cool. Um, so this, de- like, great points there, everyone. Um, but this takes us on to um, kind of like the, the the bit that everyone kind of wants it to talk about is obviously the risks and sort of like the scary elements of AI and um, generative AI. So basically, um, James, you've brought a couple of questions. I thought they they tied in really well after just sort of giving us a rundown of what we're actually dealing with, what it is. Um, so you kind of wanted to talk about generative AI and chat GTP, the opportunities, risks and challenges created by the rapid adoption and evolution of AI tooling. Um, I feel like we, we covered a lot of the opportunities there, um, but is there any anything else you want to add um, to that? Like any other opportunities that we've missed or anything else you'd like to add to it? Or do you want to go straight into the risks? <laughs> I think let's get into the risks. I think Yeah, let's know, go for it. Let's, let's go for it. And I think there are a lot of anecdotes that we can talk about here. You know, yes. you know, when I think about it, you know, Misha raised a really good point around AI governance, which will be, um, I yeah. think, you know, a topic on its own to touch on. Um, but I think, you know, even if we just start with, um, you know, one of the anecdotes that, you know, has been going around, which is around everyone's, I think, looking at this tool and trying to experiment with it. And, you know, users have no training um, on how to use it appropriately. Yeah. Um, because I think there, there will be uh, pathways to use it appropriately, particularly as businesses learn to provision the tooling in a different way. But if we look at just the the public models that exist, you know, there's an anecdote. I think it was a team at, uh, I believe, I'll say a large electronics manufacturer, so I don't get it wrong, um, <laughs> that started using uh, ChatGPT. And, um, you know, one of the things is that, um, you know, it is training off what we give it. Um, and so, you know, they've they've essentially uh, exfiltrated their own company confidential data by feeding it in. Um, you know, the, the example uh, given before around, um, you know, feeding it um, an entire um, code base to refactor it. Well, unless, you know, if you're using the public tooling, that's just ending up potentially it's going to be, you know, in a way parroted out later, um, you know, potentially cited, potentially not. Um, and so I think there's this whole new class of risk when it comes to um, how to use the tools and how to use them appropriately. Um, and I think if we think about knowledge workers, you know, not necessarily understanding how it works, but just wanting that productivity boost um, and yeah. companies not having the right uh, governance in place, then there's a huge risk to, you know, confidential business information or just sensitive uh, personal data uh, leaking into these mm-hmm. platforms. I found that, I think it was yourself, James and Misha both mentioned that to me, the parrot of effect. Um, to me, I think of like, just like a parrot regurgitating what it hears. Is that essentially what it does? So you can kind of like, it will just kind of regurgitate information that's been given that you probably uh, shouldn't. shouldn't get. Is that how you'd, how it would be? Or I wouldn't want to portray <laughs> it like that. I think certain, <laughs> certain answers, you know, what it's going to do is try to give you something, particularly if the prompting is that way. So, you know, you, you know, it's not necessarily um, understanding what it's giving you to that the extent where, um, I don't want to say it's not wholly original, but if you ask mm-hmm. it for something that matches what's there, it will give it back to you. And so, you know, there is a there's an argument to be made that it can be, um, you know, uh, repetitive in how it does that. Okay, brilliant. Um, 
what is everyone else thinking about the risks and what have you seen? Mel Carr, I can see. Yeah. You're uh, well, chat. My, my quality, like, you know, flag ring is all yeah. ring. So quality will be top of mind. Um, yeah. Personally. Um, I think the effective the effectivity of AI relies heavily on that high quality data. Um, yeah. If the data is not accurate or it's incomplete or it's biased, then it will, you know, it will not give you the output that you would you would want. Um, mm. So I think it's very it's imperative that data quality should be, um, you know, that top of mind on that. Um, security. Um, I think we've mentioned it earlier. Um, he, it can it can become more very very pervasive, you know. The growing concerns I think on, around privacy and security is is heavy. Um, we're about to have a hackathon, and my security team is just right there, it's next to me, <laughs> um, which is great. You know, everyone is um, very conscious about it. Um, so we, yeah, I think companies, organizations, we need to be ensured that we are collecting, storing those data in a responsible and secure manner. Um, and I think lastly for me is the um, the, the education, the how you explain AI on how it works for for because it varies. So because it's it's so accessible, which is great, but the downside is not many people know straight out how it works. So I think being transparent on um, where you're getting your data and how you're making, how is the, your system making that decision and explaining that to your user um, will be really key because if you don't do that, it may lead to certain, you know, user behavior that you don't want. You know, if you're just calling it magic and it's just like, okay, this is just magic <laughs> and it's just, you know, it's so accurate and people will believe that. So I think as you know, as engineering, as organizations, we have a responsibility to make sure our customers know um, what's going on behind behind the scenes as well. Excellent. Yeah, completely agree. Uh, completely agree with that. We've seen that ourselves firsthand with customers, you know, where their their limit has changed and we've got to explain <laughs> some of the signals that, that go into um, what can be perceived as a black box, but it's really important that the inner workings of that black box are well understood by people that are, that first of all, those that are working on it, um, mm -hmm. but also that you have a way of explaining the, you know, what the, the, the logic is behind some of the decisions, particularly when we're talking about decisioning. Um, on, on the subject of security, which we kind of have been touching on, I think um, one, one of the more, uh, concerning, I'd say, aspects of AI is the way that it is being used and has been used for a long time by, you know, uh, various groups. I mean, we've seen Parscan come up again as a, as a hot topic, but Parscan's been around for five or six years and, and it's a, a generative AI that's used to break passwords. It's been around since, I think, 2017, um, but it's suddenly... With the zeitgeist that is GAN or generative AI, all of a sudden people are, oh, by the way, there's this, this tool that people have been using for a long time. Um, and it, it's actually improved, it's improved significantly, apparently. You know, mm -hmm. not used it myself. So this is purely stories and anecdotes, but apparently it's the, the capabilities of, of tools like Parscan have improved significantly in the last six to 12 months. And it is a constant 
arms race um, between threat actors and security teams. And I think it's really, uh, I'm heartened to hear that Mel's got this, the security team right there alongside at, at, at hackathons because, you know, we really are opening ourselves to a, a new, to a bunch of new vectors. Uh, and we're, you know, democratizing some of these, these tools that um, it's a new generation of effectively script kitties, I think is what we're, we're going to be looking at um, with, with some of these tools. It doesn't, make it any less of a threat though like just because it's, it doesn't require the level of skill that it previously did doesn't mean that it's less of a threat to our organizations and to individuals through privacy breaches and things like that so it really is I'm, i am concerned i'm not yet worried but i'm concerned that based on you know the speed with which governments and regulators move traditionally this is this is an arms race that's moving far quicker than anything they've seen before. Yeah. And, uh, it'll be interesting, very interesting. I think there's a significant role for us as technologists to really help and make sure that ethically society is moving in the right direction using these tools. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. I know, James, this is a, a topic you're super passionate about, as was Malcar. Um, your Next question, which is we've already started covering, is basically implications uh, to data security, privacy, and training. Do you want to give us your little take there on on what you're kind of bringing to the table now on that? Yeah, I think so. But just to just to build on um, what Michelle was just saying, which I completely yeah. agree with, and you know there yeah. is this um, impetus on us as an industry to certainly, and I think that there will be a demand as well. You know as um, you know, governance, whether it be, you know, um, our government or corporate governance um, kicks in around the security um, of data. I think that there's, um, you know, the class of threats that come out of just the, the availability of this tooling is very concerning. I think none more so than, um, you know, I've, I've given this some thought and not, none more so than, you know, the sophistication of social engineering that can come off the back of the, the new AI tooling that's available, both from, mm-hmm. I guess, you know, as from a personalization element, um, but then from a scale element as well. Um, you know, you, there are tools now that are available that leverage AI for vo- voice cloning. Um, you know, there's plenty of GitHub repos out there where you can, you know, do something funny with it, which is what people will do. But um, the availability to uh, amount a very sophisticated, um, you know, social engineering attack where you could be left a voicemail from your boss or someone in the industry, you know, very, very yeah. easily someone could take this tooling, for example, Shauna, and, you know, uh, take all of the podcasts and then mimic your voice very well. Um, yeah. You know, that's the, and, you know, that wow. that's it. <laughs> That's a scary fact. Um, and so I think, you know, you know, leading then into the implications that this will have, you know, yeah. the, you know, the, the way scary. AI gets leveraged today um, in these attack vectors, um, you know, we've got personalization, but, you know, the, the typical strategy has been that, um, you know, mass market um, sort of drive-by phishing attacks are almost intentionally bad because they're trying to find people who can fall for the trick. That, yeah. that that might not be the way they work very in the very near future. Um, and I think there's going to be an, an avalanche of attacks that have a level of personalization and responsiveness that we haven't seen before. Um, you know, yeah. you're not just getting an email, you're getting a voicemail and an email and, you know, a generated website which copies something else. It's That's really um, scary. You know, and so I think the implications are 
you know, when I would talk about security, it's um, for most most businesses, uh, frankly, struggle um, just to get the basics right. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know, MFA is still something that's um, struggling to get adoption um, in the right kind of MFA. So, you know, I think that the implications of uh, these attacks are going to be really around, you know, uh, organizations have to take a really hard look at who has access to what data, um, yeah. you know, and in what circumstances um, the training regime is going to need to improve um, radically. Yeah. And I think there's going to be a world of opportunity for the tools that businesses will need to use to um, essentially identify, um, you know, these attacks. And, you know, I, I think Mission raised a really good point around the arms race because, you know, yeah. for every tool that does come up, there is probably an AI tool that tries to identify, has AI come up with this? So yeah, I think it's I think it's a really interesting time. It's a, you know, to use that analogy, it's uh, uh, in the arms race, they're, they're selling the bullets on either side um, because it's the compute power. So uh, it's yeah. a funny time. Yeah, it is. It's it. Pretty amazing, but it's a bit, it's a little bit scary yeah. as well, isn't it? When you when you put it like that, yeah. just like a someone I, like taking yeah, voice. I, I don't think that you can stop the stop any any of these. It's just that adding security layer regulations yeah. will definitely help. Otherwise, um, bringing up to a point that no one will stop this for at least six months. I don't think it's going to help. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. Really, really good points there. Yeah, there's definitely a defense in depth. You know, to talk about, I guess, seriously, I think that it really has to be a defense in depth. Um, And, you know, the the principles of least privilege will need to be applied everywhere um, across organizations. And I think that's that's really challenging when you you look at all the different um, sort of vectors that exist across, whether it be, you know, users accidentally exfilling data out of an organization, you know, uh, people being, you know, essentially auto-targeted by uh, some version of Chaos GPT, um, which, uh, you know, is both scary and impressive to watch at the same time. Absolutely. Um, Sorry, Sean? No, I was just saying it's mind-boggling, like when you really putting it out into words like that like it does um yeah it's 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 really interesting i do agree like a lot of the tools that's going to come out of this as well it's going to be um that big responsibility on companies to you know kind of pin it down as well so um okay they're really good guys the the next thing because i've just we've covered a couple of other ones um i know michelle covered your the breaking the password piece as well which i think ties us in then to kind of understanding um what and who are the users um was a question you brought michelle which is brilliant and then it also pulls us into a little bit around um machine learning and encouraging of new development but tell us a little bit what you're what you mean by that and what you believe is that what and who are users of ai i think we've we've really as we've mentioned we've really seen that the users of AI has gone from very specific and targeted groups of people to now the community at large. Um, I think there's just the the proliferation of AI-based generative tools that can be used for all sorts of different things. I mean, you've got AI that does builds presentations. You've got AI that does infographic visualizations. You've got all of these different tools that are using similar foundations. So we've gone from a very narrow, oh, maybe you incidentally use AI through your assistant to now 
many, many people. And we saw this with ChatGPT's incredible growth. Like it's the quickest growing tool in the history, in history um, as far as the, the usage goes. We've gone from that very small, very you know, selective group of people using AI to now it is just everywhere for everyone mm-hmm. and for any purpose. Um, and we've got to look at historical lessons um, in order to make sure that this is managed appropriately. And I think like we've said a few times, there's there's a whole podcast or series of podcasts on just that topic. Um, But we've got to be really cognizant of the the possibility of damage from some of these tools, um, whether malicious and intentional or accidental. Um, And repeating what has been said a number of times, we really do need to educate users both in our own organisations and in our in our networks around just, yes, this is an amazing tool and you should explore it, but just be aware of what you are asking it to do, how you're asking it to do it and what information you are giving it. Brilliant. Uh, I think that that's really, um, you know, we've seen an incredible growth over the years of fraud because of the availability of information through the internet. Yeah. We've got to be careful that we don't repeat that same pattern now that we've got tools that utilise that information in far more accurate, targeted and potentially destructive ways. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And I think that, that that was really the point that I wanted to make was the expansion of the, 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 users, the user group, the people who are using AI, brings its own challenges. Absolutely. Malika, do you want to add to that? Because I know that's the whole area you're super passionate yeah. about. Uh, I was just thinking of, you know, obviously the, the obvious ones that we're seeing pop up. And I think it's mm. just very barely scratching the surface here, like creative professionals, you know, people who are always relying on data, right? Um, and content creation will be the biggest users. But I tell you what, my 11-year-old son is a big user of it. <laughs> and well. He he uses it to validate GPT. He actually validates GPT summary of books. He's a big big book reader. He he loves reading like um, Greek mythology books or like Rick Oridan. So wow. I'll try. What was the summary of this book? And he's read it a million times, so he knows exactly what it is. It's like, oh my god, mommy, this is really good. And then yeah, he's discovered you know that it can do poems and rap songs and and all the like. And yeah, I'm actually quite scared that someday he won't need me anymore because he can just ask me to do everything for you know, yeah for that. So it's definitely a wide range of users because of its accessibility and um, affordability as well. In, yeah, it's, it's for all. Yeah. Do you, do, you, do you think that it would ever be something that would become less accessible? Like, is there any way that would become, I suppose, more expensive at a higher cost and then maybe less accessible to, you know, different groups of people? Or should it be? I won't be surprised if it will be. Like I yeah. said, I, as amazed as we are with what we can do with it now, the, the things that will that can come is beyond imagination and those yeah. complex things will be I won't imagine it to be this accessible now that we that we have it so yeah, I, yeah. I'm really excited on what on what the future will bring yeah amazing okay 
And then you also want to chat a little bit about your um, sort of the, the chaotic piece of chat GTP, uh, Misha. Um, couple of little stories in there that... <laughs> uh, I, love that. I think, I think we've, we've talked about those a couple of times. It's just, yeah, I think Chaos GPT is probably the most front of mind example mm. that people are aware of. The potential for malicious use. Yeah. It's by no means is it the only example um, of malicious use and intentionally malicious use of generative AI. I think so I, I think we've covered that pretty yeah. well. Okay. Um, yeah. We'll take We'll take that box off. So the the other uh, point that you made, which I think is really interesting and something that um, kind of comes into my work day to day as well, is how machine learning and AI is integrated and managed within tech teams and the overall business. And I know uh, Mel Carr, you bringing your foot, you spoke about this and you had a great example. You were like, you know, if we're going to use this, it needs to go right from tech team into the kitchen you know, into the, you know, the dishwasher needs to be incorporated throughout the whole business. It was very, um, you said this seemed very simply for me, but it made sense. Um, and I know day to day when I'm helping tech teams build their teams, they do tend to say, oh, like the data team are completely separate. Um, so how does that work? And what's the evolution of that going to be? And, and how do you think that the AI and machine learning teams will integrate and be managed within tech teams? Misha, this is something you brought to the table. Yeah, well, I think it's the challenge really is, um, first of all, I think that it's important that more people within the technology space because uh, more people within the technology space understand AI um, and how it's done, how it's built, how it's managed, how it's, uh, what it, how it does what it does. So, mm. you know, it is a, a fairly new technology space. The other challenge that we see, and we've seen, I've seen this firsthand a number of times, is that traditionally people who are in, working in the data teams, a significant percentage of them don't come from an engineering background. And so yeah. you've got to, you've got to kind of, you've got to educate the, the engineers on how to utilize these data, data tools, but you've also got to educate the data teams on best practices for when you're building things this is what Git is for. This is how you write yeah. maintainable scalable code. A lot of them are, you know, mathematicians and PhDs in various different um, disciplines, but then they're all, they've got to be brought into the fold and really shown and, and uh, helped along the way on how to do this thing according to best practices, whether it is security, whether it is, you know, um, Writing maintainable or reusable code. A lot of a lot of the tools that I've seen come out of data teams are very specific in use, and they basically start again when they're doing something slightly slightly different. And really educating them um, on you know, we've got decades of experience as engineering teams and, in, and as as an industry on how to do things in a way that is efficient and reliable, and you know all of those things. The other side of it is helping your your fairly young data teams with infrastructure. You know, how do you write something that is scalable and maintainable and high availability? If you're making this amazing tool, how do you make sure that it doesn't get you know dosed out of out of existence accidentally? Yeah. So it's really that it, it goes both ways. I think the education needs to go both ways, and it might very. Uh, relies on a strong collaborative culture 
um, in order to really maximise the benefit and the safety within which you with which you implement these sorts of tools. Has anyone add to that or give their insights or examples of how they're managing that within their teams? Yeah, it's um, I guess you know being very specialised in probably smaller teams and smaller startups. I think it's quite interesting yeah. in terms of you know obviously the productivity gain we've touched on and you know mm -hmm. the different tooling that's out. And I mean, like I completely agree with your earlier point that you know we can't replace engineers, um, but I think when you're building a a, a small team uh, that you know the productivity gains quite interesting because uh, you know what what you're looking for particularly in a you know a small startup is probably more generalist um, engineers um, on, on the more senior end of the spectrum and so you can get you know more productivity um, but it, it only makes sense if you're finding people who are really product minded who understand the space well and whatnot and i guess i'd be interested in um you know how it impacts you know say like junior team members or people coming up through the ranks because you know although i certainly you know i've code reviewed what comes out of chat gpt it certainly isn't perfect certainly isn't bug free um uh, I think it can, you know, give uh, some junior engineers a run for its money. Um, and it's particularly for things that you would typically, uh, you know, delegate to a junior team member. Um, those are the repeatable, you know, potentially simple things that might come up. And so I think it it will impact team design for um, a lot of businesses. Yeah, um, I think the, the repetitive tasks can be can be automated by using the machine learning. So not talking about the <clears throat> um, what James were talking about. Definitely, I'm I'm a pro uh, dev person that, yes, give it to junior devs. They would learn it. <laughs> um, but um, stuff like admin stuff, um, report generation, data entry, things like that, um, we can free up a lot of our developers' time. Like if we are asking them to, you know, write a very detailed dev spec about such things um, we can take help from machine learning um, or in generative AI as well uh, if we are prompting it or training it well it can really help us um, shape up those those specifications um, not 100 percent because it requires a reviewers a reviewers eyesight eyes on that as well um, and the second point i think we can improve the efficiency and accuracy um, for testing and debugging as well. So we have recently started <clears throat> creating the the unit tests using Copilot, and um, it's not it's not as I said, and everybody knows that it's not accurate. It's not yeah. it's not hundred percent. In fact, it is not even fifty percent. I would say, but it is helping. <clears throat> so it's a helping hand, and 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 I and I as they suggest as well. I think it's a Copilot. It's not like autopilot. So people shouldn't consider it as like a, a it, it would just wipe us off. It can never. <laughs> um, so this the other thing I was thinking from the hardware's perspective, so not from the software side, but I think the maintenance of hardware systems can can also be uh, infused by machine learning or because like when do you want to get um, maintain this this piece of hardware um, they can schedule you know tech teams uh, review and all that so these were a couple of things which which were thing which were coming into my mind so i thought to discuss that Brilliant. 
Okay. I've run it. I'm, I know we're kind of tight for time now, but um, I really want to get on to Melker's questions. But um, really awesome work, guys. Thanks everyone for the contributions across that. Um, but our final questions come from Melker, and I think this is pretty interesting and a great way to kind of summarize what we've, what we've gone through. So the first question you had was, what are the top three ways that you're seeing AI change the industry? And then what are your predictions for how this will continue to evolve over the next five years? But yeah, Malakar, give us your insights. Sure. I think the the three, you know, the ways that it's significant impact is, you know, we've touched mostly on it. So I, I probably yeah. won't spend too much time in there, you know, like personalization, decision making, the, 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 the uh, opportunities are endless. But as for the predictions, um, and these are just my personal things, like, you know, I think it, adoption will continue to increase. Um, yep. we're, we're barely scratching the surface. As I've said, we will see more businesses adopt AI technologies um, as you know as it becomes more accessible. Um, it will increase competition, I think, and more innovation in our in the space. Um, I think because of the challenges and risk on on data and security, there will be a focus on responsible AI and ethical AI. So. Um, you know, I think it, we people, humans will naturally um, gravitate to becoming, making it more sustainable and not just a hype for, for you know, the next two years because yeah. there's goodness to it. You don't want to be, you don't want to destroy it. So I think the, the response, res, responsible and ethics around it will, will evolve. Um, what else? There will, we'll see more integrations um, with, with other technologies. So there's already so many technologies existing like GitHub, you know, Copilot. We will, I, I reckon we'll, we'll see more and more of that um, rather than just AI on its own and as a standalone product. I'm interested to hear others. Yeah. Um, do you want to go, James? Give us some insights on sort of what your kind of thoughts are around, you know, predictions for the next five years. Where do you see it going? Or whoever. <laughs> Look, that's a great question. I, I agree with what Melka is saying. You know, it could go in, in so many um, so many directions. I think that the the what we touched on before around um, embedding in all of the tools that we, we use in our, our workflows and that will stream out, yeah. you know, stream out into not just from an engineering standpoint or a tech standpoint, but into, uh, you know, knowledge work is everywhere. And I think from a consumer perspective, it's going to turn up in a lot of places. Um, you know, you'd have, right now it, it comes up as say like, you know, some models are as predictive text, but, you, you know, it's going to be features like that. That, um, across a number of products. And I think, um, you know, to build on the point around um, having trust in that system, I think what we'll see, and we've frankly already been seeing from a technical perspective, but mm. we'll see it leveraged more, is um, AI on device. You know, um, you know where the data stays on device, um, where there's that privacy element built into it. And as these, you know, um, models are evolved or pre-trained or built into the hardware, we'll see just further applications from there. Yeah, brilliant. Um, Arafat or Misha, do you want to add to that? Kind of give us your predictions for the next five years of where we're going to be with AI. You're acting <laughs> um, Look, I, I think um, I agree with both Mel and James. Um, mm. This is not just, this is not the beginning of AI. This is really the democratisation of AI. And I think that um, 
We've seen this a number of times with different technologies and I expect a similar pattern. We do mm. live in a capitalist society and so if people can monetize something, they will. Um, and so mm-hmm. when we were talking about the accessibility earlier, I think that we will see certain, mo- probably the most useful tools put behind paywalls or, you know, we will see a reduction in accessibility to some of the higher quality uh, or more well-known high quality tools that are out there or that emerge over the years ahead. Yeah. Um, and so I do expect to see that uh, companies like Microsoft who are investing billions then figure out how they can actually you know, build revenue off that investment mm-hmm. and see costs associated, which will, by its very nature, reduce its availability to certain sectors of society um, around the world, which is uh, yet another problem <laughs> that we need to face. Um, we, we have seen it a few times where technology empowers, but then that empowerment is reduced in scope and availability. Um, mm. And so I think the challenge is actually going to be how do we keep it available? Open source has done a great job over the last few decades of doing that sort of thing across the board. Um, and yet we, you know, we still do have very much live in a world where proprietary technology is, is very expensive and is a, a huge industry. Um, you know, I think all of us, all of us are here because of that. Uh, <laughs> if I'm frank, um, and so I think that an incredible ex- growth and then um, consolidation of some of these tools is what I really expect to see. Um, awesome. The proliferation that we're seeing now will eventually start to shrink in. Not necessarily the number of tools, but the number of tools that people are interacting with, or the number of AIs, I guess, is the term we're using that people are interacting with uh, on a daily basis will probably go back as as we get even more generalized models and aggregates of of some of these tools. Um, my biggest um, prediction over the next five years is that governments are going to have fairly severe response to some of these in the next probably 24 months. Um, But as I was saying before, it will take them quite some time before they actually form a cohesive response that is set and based on anything other than knee-jerk reaction. Yeah, interesting. Arafat, give us your Bible prediction. (laughs) Whatever I was thinking, um, Misha, Elkmelgar, or uh, uh, James were covering, so... I was thinking yeah. that, oh, whoa, what should I say now? <laughs> so, um, but yeah, uh, uh, I was thinking that, yes, large language models like the natural language processing will be will be another big thing. Um, right now, we are trying to communicate in English mostly, although um, ChatGPT as my first language is Urdu, so I can start uh, writing in Urdu, and it also gives me a response. But of course, that is not as good as English. So we would see that definitely uh, languages like um, Chinese, languages like Hindi, languages like Arabic or French, because these are widely spoken languages. Um, I think that there will be a disruption over here as well. And there will be a lot of advancements in that area. Uh, The other thing I was thinking in is in the workspace. So like it will become AI will become more <clears throat> accessible in terms of using the automation. Um, I know a couple of business people as well that like they have no tech 
experience or background um using some of the rpa technologies they are trying to <laughs> um fill up their uh, time sheets and all that so it's it's still there <laughs> and yeah. um it, i i don't be i won't be surprised if they ask um chat gpt kind of technologies that hey can you fill up this for me rather than i show you the steps or i just show you the step once like one shot learning and then you yeah. you do it um <laughs> yeah so and, and the last one would be that general purpose um, um like general purpose ai which is not in in the in a singularity way but the way that it will be you will be seeing it a lot in healthcare in 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 transport in in retail and it will become as as misha initially mentioned that it will become ubiquitous or pervasive like it will become a part of your life but you may not see that oh yeah, it is it infused by ai like we use maps mm-hmm. um everybody use maps and any of the maps um heavily infused by ai heavily um and we don't really realize this um your traffic your everything which is around around maps so i think it will become more and more ubiquitous um and uh, more connected to our daily lives yeah brilliant they are fantastic summaries and predictions um really really great um so yeah really really appreciate all your inputs there and i think the last point um because i suppose with melkar's questions we've kind of gone through it. i know melkar you're super passionate about that whole security and quality piece is there anything else you'd like to add on that before i move on to um discussing your hackathon before we leave it for today um I think another thing that comes to mind is just product development. What I'm mm. personally yeah. experiencing with my teams is um, the way we approach product development is slowly changing. So when you know before we say, "Oh, we need a you know we need to automate generation report," so we'll spin up a reporting engine and you know do all the infrastructure to layer to it and everything. But now it's like, oh. Maybe with with you know with with um, generative AI because we got the data and you know we we know the customer experience that we want. Maybe our you know it gives our technology teams a really different option, like an additional option on how we build products, as well as how we solve customer problems. So we're safety culture is in the work. It's in a you know workplace improvement um, domain and. Yeah, like predictive maintenance, you know, like those assets management and risk assessment. It's definitely that's the business we're in, and yeah. solving those problems for our customers will probably will probably shift, you know, the way we think of of the solutions. Incredible, brilliant. It definitely is super relevant, isn't it? Um, like to safety culture for sure. Um, a lot of positive impacts it can add. Um, to your product development. Cool. Now, last but not least, tell us a bit about um, your hackathon, um, the details around your upcoming hackathon and the innovations and um, thoughts behind this. It's all your yeah. ideas. I'm really keen to hear about it. Uh, look, you know, hackathon, I, I, I'm sure Misha and James and Arafat, you, you do a lot in your organizations as well. You know, we're engineers loves a good hackathon. So this time this year, one of our hackathons will be themed around AI. 
Um, mm. We've done a little bit of product development on it. So we, we kind of like tested the waters a little bit, but now it's like giving everyone a chance to explore what possible, what possibilities can we do with AI in the different product areas. Um, and we don't be- believe that we need to have a dedicated team to just doing AI, you know, and, and they're the only team that doing the cool things. Um, so we want everyone, our, our belief is everyone um, is enabled to, to think about and use AI in their own areas um, and not just products. Um, my quality engineering team, for example, you know, thinking about how do we, you know, maybe we can automate some of this bug reporting that's very routine, you know, um, so it's, it's everywhere. So Hackathon will be our kind of channel for that. And um, it brings the different levels of experience as well. We, we have engineers that are really deep into the AI and machine learning, and they have skills and competence mm-hmm. even before safety culture and doing, you know, like kind of like their personal um, side projects around it. But then we got people who may not be, or, you know, that deep yet on the machine learning. So we will bring all those skills together um, as well as there are so many people, there's so many chatters around ideas and what we can do. So we said, okay, Brilliant. how about this? You know, tools down for two days. Let's see what we can do with it. And our hackathons are always, our last hackathon, we generate so many projects and ideas and we always aim for it to be production um, level. Um, so um, I'm excited to see what we, what we come out with it and what actual real, real world problems we can solve with it. So that's pretty exciting. It is. I'd love to have a catch up with you after as well to see how it's gone. Um, it's For really, sure. really it's, it's so relevant as well, you know. So um, I think what, Misha, you were talking about that as well, weren't you, about the whole kind of piece of pulling this whole AI all the way through the business. Um, so the fact that Malcar, you're, you're championing that a safety culture is pretty cool. Um, you're on top of things. For sure. <laughs> um, I yeah. think I have a personal agenda. This I just yeah. want to open up. <laughs> oh, you're brilliant. Well, is there any other questions for Melkar about her uh, hackathon or any other questions about um, her achievements at the moment around what they're doing around AI? I was just going to say the same thing as you, Sean. I'd love to hear what what happens on the other side of the hackathon. Yeah, it's great. Definitely. Episode two episode two yeah we should do an episode two <laughs> well guys i know it's we're running out of time i feel like everyone probably has important meetings coming up so really appreciate it um so we'll leave it there for now so massive massive thanks for everyone contributing to such a hot topic today around ai disrupting industry so really appreciate it